You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. I'm Mark Feinstein of MLB.com in West Palm Beach with Assistant General Manager of the Nationals, Bob Miller. Bob, thanks for taking some time. Anytime. Glad to be here. So at 19 years old, did you know at the time that you wanted to work in professional baseball? So I was at the Meyer League Commissioner's Office down in St. Petersburg called the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues. They're essentially the commissioner's office for all of the uh, Meyer Leagues all over the country in Dominican and uh, Mexico and got thrown right into it, learning the rules, all the contracts, all the Meyer League contracts, the draft, the Rule 5 draft, uh, six-year renewal, everything went through the minor leagues back then. We didn't get the major league contracts, but we got all the minor league contracts. We got the guys down on option and everything. So I dealt mostly with the farm directors and the scouting directors. And like I said, I was 19 years old and in my second year of college and said, what the heck, this sounds like a, something I'd like to do. I couldn't play anymore because I had, had gotten hurt. And I just thought, yeah, let's go down and see what this is. And 36 years later, <laughs> Here we I'm are. still in the game. How does that come about that you end up getting a job working for minor they league baseball? They literally advertised at the junior college I was going to when I had gotten hurt and I ended up going to a junior college and um, the my uh, accounting professor came in and said you guys if I was you I would take this job and everybody's like what what job he said there's a job available down at the commissioner's office for Miley baseball this is my dream job this is what the, the teacher's saying and I went down there and interviewed with uh, Johnny a man named Johnny Johnson and Sal Ardiaga and actually the future uh, governor of Florida Charlie Crist wow. also worked there at that time, so I interviewed with those three guys and got the job as a barely 19-year-old. So you're 19 years old, you go to work in the commissioner's office for minor league baseball. What's your initial job and what, 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 what were your duties at that Again, point? Again, all the contracts for all the minor league players came down through us, and I approved them, made sure that we were done correctly, learned all the rules. Uh, literally the day I got there, Johnny Johnson, who had been in the game 50 years and worked for the Yankees and the commissioner's office, comes with the old baseball blue book, which used to be about 400 pages, and you could barely lift it, and just dropped it on my desk from two feet high. I said, we got a cigarette sticking out of his mouth, and I said, Learn this kid, and you'll have a job for the rest of your life. And turns around and walks away. So I learned. I learned rules, and I'm still in the game. Kind of like studying for the bar. A little bit. It is. <laughs> I mean, people think I'm a lawyer. I've had more agents and players and other people because it's all baseball law, right? Essentially, the baseball law is what we go by. It's not. It's not common law. It's the it's the rules of baseball, and whether they're the the basic agreement or the professional baseball rules or the playing field rules. There's rules written down, and I luckily enough have a pretty good memory and, and learned most of them and uh, wrote a few of them when I was at the minor leagues and, and enjoy that part of the game. And I've come along. I've been in baseball for, like I said, 36 years. I've been player development, been in scouting department, was assistant scouting director with Rizzo over in uh, Arizona, and uh, have now been an assistant GM since, I think, 99. When you're 19 and you go into <laughs> this job, and you have to learn all these rules and everything. Is that an overwhelming thing to, to try to start up at, you know, with, with really not only very little experience in the industry, but very little life experience? Right, very point. little life experience. I agree. I mean, I was, I was very good in, in school. I, I did well. Um, I have a very good memory, so that helped me a ton. And it was interesting. I mean, who wouldn't want to learn all the baseball rules and get all the contracts and, 
and assign them and uh, approve of them and everything else. So it was uh, it was an inter- interesting. It was a lot for a 19 year old, but I was I'm kind of a I'm up, for the, up for the challenge. Well, I'm, I'm I've never been a a party or anything else. I've always been a serious uh, kind of person where I you know I don't run around too much. I have always uh, been a designated driver. Even when I was in <laughs> high school, I was the designated driver. So. I'm I'm a little older than my my age, I guess, a little bit, but uh, I loved it. And Sal Artiaga was kind of my my mentor down there, and and taught me, helped me with all the rules. And uh, here I am. You mentioned you got hurt uh, that ended your your playing. Were you, had you hoped to play in college and maybe you know, yeah have, pursue a professional career? Playing yeah, baseball? I, I, after having been in the game this long, I doubt I would have been a major league baseball player. But, but at the I, time, I could have spent, I could have. Probably hailed my own for a while in the minor leagues. In what the, was the, in the lower levels. I got a car accident. Got oh, okay. Lots of things. Um, after leaving minor league baseball, you became the head of baseball operations for an independent league in Texas and eventually became the GM for the team in Amarillo. What was that experience like? It was different. What happened was um, MLB eventually took the all the contracts and the draft and everything away from minor league baseball and moved it to New York City. And at the time, I had, my grandmother was passing away, my mother was passing away, and then my grandfather passed away in a very short number of years, and I didn't really want to move to New York. So I was working at the minor league commissioner's office, but I wasn't doing anything baseball. I was the I was uh, director of finance or something like that, and I didn't want that. I wanted to be in baseball. I'd already been in the game 14 years. I'd spent 13, 14 years at the minor league office, and when I went there, that was a little more baseball. I essentially hired all the players for these for this whole league because it was centrally owned. So there were six teams, and I got to hire the managers, and and me and the managers also hired the players and for the independent teams. So that was that was fun. And then you got became, me. And then you became the GM for one of those teams. Yeah, in the second year I was in Amarillo and and just became the GM. I was still doing some of the baseball stuff for the league, but I, I was running the. And having been in the minor leagues for all that time, I had. I had actually worked for 10 years at night uh, as right. an official scorer in Dunedin. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, I did that and wrote for the St. Pete Times, covered the game. So I was getting paid. You know, you don't get paid a whole lot when you're playing <laughs> baseball. So I was working three, four jobs, you know, being an official scorer at night and got to watch games, meet a lot of scouts, meet a lot of people coming in, watching the things that, you know, was part of it to advance my career. Some of it was to make money, to, to live on. Um, and like I said, I wrote for the St. Pete Times at the same time because I was at the game. Doing one job, so right. why not right at the end of the game? Plus, anybody can be a sports writer. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I did it for 10 years. That's so. true. <laughs> so, um, so I, I knew what went on in running a, a minor league team. You know, all the sales, the promotions, the day game events, the mascots, you name it, selling tickets, selling everything. And I offered to go to Amarillo, which was kind of the, the best franchise in, the, in that league. And I had a blast. It might have been my favorite year in baseball. I was going to say, I, th- I don't think people understand that being the GM of a minor league team is a completely a different, different world, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, although in this league, you did hire the players, but it's, you know, and nobody cares. Right. <laughs> Independently. We won, you know, we did well and we won, but you're selling tickets, you're selling sponsorships, you're selling outfield signs, you're, you're selling everything. Our uh, water main froze up opening night. An hour before the game started. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do as a Miley GM. <laughs> you order portalettes and you order everything to make everything last so that uh, you can have the game that night. So, yeah, it's 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 different, but it's fun. And I, I've enjoyed minor league baseball. I might enjoy minor league baseball more than I enjoy major league baseball. Just because of the, the why, I guess. Um, 
the enthusiasm of the players, the kids, watching a maybe a 19-year-old kid work his way up, learn the game, become a major leaguer, become a man, to be honest with you. Whereas in the major leagues, they're kind of already set. They're, which I, I don't know, probably because I was 14 years in the minor leagues, <laughs> too, you know, and enjoyed the, four, the minor league part of it so much that I think that... I, I like the fact that minor league baseball really supports major league baseball. If there was no minor league baseball, would major league baseball be that big a thing? It's all in the big markets, but what about all the double-A teams and all the triple-A teams and all the A-ball teams that fans are coming to every night? And teams like Dayton up in Ohio who have sold out for 20 years or however long they have. I mean, that gets people and kids interested about baseball. So then they support the affiliates that those teams are playing with, and the whole market grows. So. Right. You're not, just, you're not just focusing on 30 or 20 right, 30 major markets or whatever teams, it is. Right. right. Uh, you, so we mentioned before, you graduated from University of Florida with a degree in finance. You're 29. So you had already been working in the minors for 10 years. Yeah. What what prompted you to, to go back and get Well, I was degree? always going to go to school. It was just, it's very hard. Winter meetings are right at exam times. Uh, you just, you don't have a whole lot of time to go. And I eventually, um, they were nice enough to let me work uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, like 10-hour days. So I loaded up on Wednesdays and I loaded up on nights. And I did my last two years in two years, which while working full time. So. Wow. And I was, some reason or other, was the class president, too, which I don't quite, <laughs> I quite don't understand how I got talked into that. Well, that's but, just um, keeping it on yourself at that point. Yeah, right? it was. It wasn't good. But um, I had a good time, and uh, I wasn't, like I said, my, it was, education is important with my family, so I always knew I was going back. And finance just kind of worked with life in general, and for, you know, just working on uh, just stocks and bonds even, just all that I wanted to be involved in on my own so that I wouldn't always be poor working in baseball. (laughs) (laughs) After working in the minors so long, was it always a goal of yours to eventually go work for a big league team? Yeah, it was was weird when we got a team in uh, St. Pete that I didn't go with them. I ended up going out all the way out to Phoenix. Um, But yeah, it it worked at the time. That was about when my relatives had passed away, all my older relatives, and I was starting to look, and that's when I joined the... the, uh, Texas Louisiana League, and then um, Arizona came calling about being assistant scouting director. You joined the Diamondbacks, as you mentioned, 1998. On the same day that you started, you met another guy who started that same day as a cross-checker, Mike yeah, Rizzo. Yeah, we were standing in line. Uh, it was a, actually an organizational meeting because we were going to go over everything that happened the previous year, and guy, this guy's standing in front of me. I know absolutely nobody except for like two or three people. And, hey, how are you doing? I'm Bob Miller. Hey, I'm Mike Rizzo. I just got hired. Hey, I'm your assistant scouting director. So... Just uh, funny. Yeah. Funny the way things <laughs> work out eventually, and, uh, right? It's pretty good the relationship over the last 20 years. Rizzo has said that you know the rules better than anybody he's ever been around. Uh, as baseball rules continue to evolve on the field, off the field, new CBAs, how imperative is it for you to keep up and know every single one of them? It's actually tough because I'm so used and so ingrained on a lot of things that have happened in the, in the past. And my mind is set on this rule works this way. And so many of them have changed that I'm glad the young guys are in our office. I teach them a lot of things. They help me and confirm the, the new things because, I mean, the, it's 200, 300 pages. I've read it many times, but... Sometimes your brain goes back to the old rule and not the new rule, so it, it is very hard. But you have to know it. You can lose players. You can screw things up very badly <laughs> if you don't know them. Your knowledge of the rules helped the Nationals land Trey Turner. How did that deal come about? 
Um, he was drafted. We, we got him at the end of the year. He was first drafted. And the rule says that you're not, it was actually a Pete Incavilia rule. You can go back from that back in the 80s. Um, you can't trade a guy until he's been in, in your organization for a year from the day he signed, not the day you drafted him. And when we were doing this trade, we were just short of six months since he had signed. Um, but there's another rule that says you can name, name a guy to be a player to be named later for six months. You have to sign that. You have to do the trade before the six months is up. But you have six months to make that to, player to, make the to announce that the player. Be. So we waited a couple of days. We were arguing about who was going to take care of this, where he was going to play, because he was going to be somebody else's in somebody else's system for six months. Right. While he was essentially our player. So we delayed it long enough to where it got to right where it was six days, and we made him a player to be named later. So originally we weren't going to get him into our into our organization until June. The following year, worked out pretty well. It worked out well. We, um, <laughs> yeah, it was. We were very happy to get him and Joe Ross. We we, we love both of them. Uh, in Arizona, you rose from assistant director of scouting all the way to assistant GM. Played a big role in the 2001 World Series title. What was that ride like that year? Well, with 9/11 and everything, it was just it was an amazing year. And playing the Yankees, of course, it's, it's always. And they were, you know, they were dominant back then. They'd won four of the previous five years. That's pretty good. Three in <laughs> I'd row, like right? to get four, yeah, 96, 97, 98, and then 2000 they won. And so we're here, we're playing a team that, you know, we've never been in the World Series before with the Yankees, and we had a real good team. We had home field advantage back then, well, I think it was every other year back right. then. Um, and we could have won all seven games. And I think we outscored them by three to one and almost lost the uh, lost the uh, games in seven innings, or in seven games, but uh, it was wonderful. The worst thing was the Yankee three games, needless to say. And sitting in the bus waiting to leave the Yankee Stadium and listening to New York, New York 10,000 times. <laughs> That's all they played over and over. We were sitting in the bus. Years, I'm well we're aware. sitting in the bus and this thing's going for three nights in a row after we should have won all three of those games or could have very easily. So, But it was it was magical. I, I got to throw that word out. Uh, wonderful. Maybe gray. People don't believe me, but. That was it? I think so. I mean, I've got gray hair in the, in the family, but I went white. <laughs> I blame it on Byung Hyun Kim, who, <laughs> who we got there because of him. But he had, he had two tough games, and I uh, gave up those two two-run homers in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, I might add. And uh, then we lost next extra innings, both of those games. Um, but we came back and dominated game six and then beat the best closer ever in the bottom of the ninth. So that's what makes it, I, mean, I think, even better. It wasn't some no-name that you... You squeaked by in a tie game. We beat the best closer ever. So, what's the range of emotions like in that box as you're watching those games in New, York, you know, games I, four and five in New York, and then game seven in Arizona? Yeah, well, the game in seven, seven, and seven, I remember because it was weird. The, the roof was open, the wind's blowing, the bottom of the eighth, and all the trash is blowing around the field in the swirl. I don't know if you remember out in right field, it's yep. swirling. Uh, Bud Selig's assistant has an umbrella and it's holding it over his head. Everybody's getting wet inside of a dome because the roof is open. And I just remember Bud had an umbrella. Whoever even thought of bringing an umbrella to a dome was, was pretty smart. But And just when I still get sick to my stomach when seeing Soriano hit the home run. Even though I know <laughs> even knowing we the win, outcome. Right. I know we win, I still get that. It comes back. It's muscle memory or whatever, but it is. Uh, it was... It was horrible, but when that ball fell in off Gonzo's bat, I my head almost hit the ceiling. We had really small ceiling in in the uh, GM's box. There was five of us. I can name one of them passed away, Tommy Jones, but it was me and Riz and and Sandy Johnson and Joe Garagiola Jr. and we just leapt in the air. 
hollows. And uh, yeah, it's just something you'll never forget. I mean, even the biggest optimist in the world can't feel good going into that night. Not Mariano. The best thing was he was going two innings, though. That right. always is tougher. And he got us, I think we got one hit in the eighth and, and struck out the side, I think. So that wasn't real good. Well, then he made an error that he, made he a never throwing error. Yeah, he made a throwing error. That's what we tell the kids. I know Joe Gargiola, when I was with the Diamondbacks, and he'd talk to the players, he would say, and he would show his ring, and he'd stick it up in the air. I got this because of the pitcher didn't do PFP correctly. A thing that you practice 10 million times, but you don't think it's important. But here it is. I got this. He was actually a pretty good fielding pitcher, too. Oh, he was a great pitcher all around. But he <laughs> let it go. And Any, anybody Jeter almost got his leg broken by DeLucci sliding into second. And uh, we uh, got a couple more blue pits and, and won. I'm pretty sure DeLucci reminded him of that a couple times when they Did played it? together later on. Womack actually had a good hit. Womack had the double down on the right field line. He was, he was probably one of the best players that whole series and in the previous series. He won the game for us in uh, Game Five against the Cardinals in the first round, with a with a walk off hit. So, and then he tied the game in the bottom of the ninth. So he had two really good career hits right there. You uh, you helped build Arizona's farm system. I think it was 29th ranked when you when you joined up, and and they moved first. Uh, they were brand new, so they should have been 29th or 30th. Well, fair so, enough. But yeah, so but how, no, how, we. How tough is it to go through that process to build a system from the bottom all the way to the top? It's tough, but there's, there's, you know, I won't, I won't say there's not luck involved too. Players have to work hard. Players have to stay healthy. Players have to, you know, do the things that you believe in what you're teaching them and everything else. And Riz, Riz and, and Donnie Mitchell, the two farm directors or the two scouting directors when I was there, they they drafted some very good guys. And um, you know, Mr. Clangelo gave us the money to spend, and 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 we came around, and I mean. You just, I mean, Riz, Riz has had a very good career drafting players, so we've done real well with that. And like I said, by the time I left, I think we were first, first or second. So, 2006, you moved on to the Reds, uh, director of baseball administration, eventually assistant general manager there. Um, the Reds won two NL Central titles, made three playoff appearances during your nine years there. What was your highlight of, of your run in Cincinnati? I think building it again. Because they were, they had been bad for a while. They hadn't been in the playoffs for I think ten years. When, it, when and again, it's not me. When I got there, that has nothing to do with it. Sure. But it helped. You know, I, I did whatever I could to help assist everybody else. And uh, Chris Buckley was the scouting director over there. And it all comes down to scouting and then player development after you after you get them in the system. But um, going from I got there in 06 and we got in the playoffs in ten. Well, that's that's four seasons. But it's still when you're last. When you have no farm system, and it takes a while, and you get guys like Vado and Cueto and Bailey and Bruce, and a lot of those are first rounders, but you picked right. <laughs> a lot of first rounders don't make it, so it's not just picking first rounders; it's the uh, Frasers of the world and the guys in the third, fourth, fifth, eighth round that 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 fill in a roster and and make you good. And just watching those guys, they came up as a core. Whenever you get the ability to have watch guys advance together in a group like that. That's what small market teams have to do is have a core, break down, have a core, break down, because you can't patch. They don't, they don't have the money to patch. I mean, and back then, the rules were against them. Every time we – one year we finished the second-best record, so we're drafting 29th. Back then, so it means you're drafting the worst, and you're getting the least amount of um, money for the international pool, and you don't have money to pay for um, free agents. So where are you going to – how are you going to stay – Good. 
if you don't have the money to pay for free agents, you're drafting at the bottom of the round and you have the lowest amount of money to pay for the international guys, you're not going to stay competitive very long with that system. So we built it up. They got in three out of four years and I had to tear it down. And we, we, we thought we could have done it maybe another year and maybe that was a problem with Cincinnati. We might have tried for a little long. We might have torn down a year before that or something and, sold and traded some of those guys that had more value left in them but you know it's hard when you're trying to win and you got a decent enough team that you think you can win we should have won in 12 to be honest with you <laughs> we had a very good team and uh, we lost three games in a row after being up two nothing that was probably the most disappointing but seeing that core come up together was was the the best thing well even even the big market teams are looking at that when I mean, you go oh, back to those, you go back to, to but even you go back to those late 90s yankees yeah. you can talk about all the free agents they signed during that run but you know or Forbes, yeah. right there in the title, but right? But still, they were able to pay for the Cubs. Sure. They were able Clemens, to pay for Clemens, Cohen, of course. Yeah. Messina, you know, those you look guys. At, you look at, uh, well, you're Messina wasn't that. even part of the World Series. Yeah, but you're not, you're not doing that in Cincinnati. You're right. not going out. Well, the Giants, they're, they're running yeah. three World Series in, five, in uh, five years. They've got a young core. The Astros right now. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like that's, even the big market teams, mm -hmm. even though they have the financial wherewithal to sign free agents, et cetera, they're still looking at building up based on a young core and then, Yep. Trying to surround it. That's you the best way to do, do it. The surrounding part in Cincinnati, but um, what, what's it like watching a guy like Joey Votto progress into the player he became? Um, impressive. <laughs> he came a long way. I mean, he could always hit. He always had the ability to, to see the ball and everything, but the, his defense is what really, really, really improved. And then he just became, he went from a good hitter to possibly the best in the major leagues right now so it, it's fun to watch um like i said it's baseball is a great game it's fun to watch these guys go from minor leaguers to maybe the best guy in the in the, in the league to, at hitting or doing what joey Votto does so i mean again cincinnati had a had a nice core they they did well for a couple of years dusty did a good job of getting those guys together and uh, i'm sorry it it didn't go as well as i'd hoped over there and, and didn't last as long as i wished you played a part in bringing Roldis Chapman over. That was one of the, that was fun. One of the few free agents you guys were able to <laughs> yeah. go out and, and sign. Is there a bit of a leap of faith necessary to bring a player like that in from Cuba, hoping that his talent translates to the big leagues, especially for a small market team that, I mean, 30, $31 million, I think it was? Yeah, we... You know, that's a big contract for... We, for yeah, it was a very big market. And, I mean, originally people were talking 10-15 is what it was going to be. So then we were... Even then we were not scared, but, you know, worried about it. We sent probably... 12 scouts saw, saw him in different things, whether they're international tournaments for Cuba or his workouts or, or whatever, and they were good scouts. And we trusted him, and, and Walt stepped out and, and believed what, this guy, what the scouts thought he was going to be and went and saw him and saw him and saw him and saw him and took a leap of faith because you never know. You know, coming from a communist country and never having anything to suddenly having $30 million dollars coming your way can, can cause troubles. It, it really didn't. He, he did a very good job. I mean, there was there was growing pains, obviously, but, you know, guys throwing 100 to 103, it's, it gives you a chance to uh, to say, make a little errors. But 100, he, 103 will translate anywhere. I mean, that's, much. you know, it's, it's hard to find uh, that. Yeah, well, he kept getting better, though. I mean, his command got, got better and better and better where he wasn't 
risking people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the very first time in, in camp in Cincinnati, being Pat Frazier on the leg with 101 or whatever, we're sitting back and we're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of our best young players with our with our big hope pitcher, and two pitches in, he, he corked him right in the shin. And <laughs> Can't imagine what kind of a mark that left. That uh, would have hurt. <laughs> is, and I, is, I was there when when uh, Chapman got took that one right off the head too. Oh, yeah. That was that was sickening. Bad the, sound. The bigger the bigger concern of bringing over a player like that from a place like Cuba is the I think adaptation of the country. Yeah, I think right? it's the adaptation, the learning, and the not letting it get away, get overwhelmed, and learn to. Everything that we we live by over here and in our way of life and the way they work out and the season. I mean, it's obviously play more games and it's just the different. It's different. So he did grow, and our player development guys again we're we're very good at helping him come along and he fit in pretty well with the clubhouse and we had a good team and guys like Scott Rowland and Miguel Cairo kept the clubhouse well and and, and in order. So it, it was it was a good three four five years over there. When you left the Reds after the 2014 season, you moved back to Florida, bought a pet food business. Were you <laughs> intent on getting back into the game, or did you think you were moving on to another phase of your life? I didn't know for sure. I was hoping I could get a get a job with with somebody over here on the East Coast. Um, again, family's always been probably the most most important by far, um, and I wanted to get back here and and be with my life and, and different things. So um, it was it was tough. But um, I'm glad right when I, I announced it and I told some people and a couple people called and Riz at the time had an opening because uh, somebody was leaving here and uh, it worked out well. Given your history with him, was that a I'm sure it helped. Oh, um, no, because I didn't know about what the living situations would be and, and everything else. But yeah, I, I thought it, something could be worked out and, and, and it did. So And obviously they were they were starting their run of being very good, so that, that helped. Why a pet food business? My wife has always been in the pet food. <laughs> she's, she's always been in the pet food industry, or the pet industry, not pet food, but pet industry, and we had eight animals, so that was cost savings right there, getting it at wholesale. So. There you go. That's backstory to everything, right? Yep. <laughs> so you've now been, been in big league front offices for 20 years, uh, assistant GM, I think you said it's in 99. Do you have aspirations of being a general manager? Sure, but it's, it's you know, it's some of it's luck, some of it's being in the right place at the right time, some of it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to my grave bemoaning that I didn't get one. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with uh, the life I've had in baseball. So if I can help a team win again, that's that's another ring is what I want. I don't care if I'm the GM or the assistant GM. I just want another ring. You've you focused on salary arbitration cases and other contractual matters, as you mentioned before. Has the file and trial strategy dramatically changed the arbitration process? It, I, well, again, I think it helped. I think it helped the club side. Um, before you were just left, you weren't even negotiating a lot of times. They were just holding you off. They wouldn't negotiate. So. Um, I think it did help the clubs to some extent because the clubs wanted to get something done. You know, season's coming up, and I think doing that, players also wanted to get something done. But if, if they could wait two weeks, they would probably wait two weeks. But with us, the two weeks just kind of you ended up bidding against yourself a little bit. Um, again, the strategy will change every four, five, six years, though. Sure. So this year there was a lot more cases. A couple of years ago there wasn't. There was one, I think, right. or none, or whatever. Um, it's just adaptation. 
sides will figure out new ways to change and get the upper hand and that's what we do both sides so <laughs> so it makes you all good at your jobs yeah. right so we talked about Votto a little bit you've been around some really great players during your career Randy Johnson Kurt Schilling in Arizona uh, Bryce Harper and Max Scherzer here obviously is there something other than their obvious talent that allows guys like them to reach the heights that they have uh, well it's it's always their drive it's their drive and their work ethic and none of these guys did it easily or, you know, just happened to them. I mean, obviously, they have supreme talent. Sure. You can't do it without the talent that these guys have. But if they just didn't work at it, they wouldn't be superstars. Max works as hard as anybody. Randy worked as hard as anybody and pitched until he was, what, 45 or whatever. Something That's like that. amazing. With the body, you know, with his, you know, his tall stature to pitch, um, it, it always comes down to how much you want it. You've uh, you've been around a long time. You've seen the evolution of analytics in the game. There was a time in the not-too-distant past when some teams had a huge advantage over others with their analytics departments. Now all 30 teams have them to varying degrees. What do you think might be the next big thing that teams try to use to separate themselves from the pack? Um, and I think they're already doing it. I think it's medical. And I can't go into what all we do and well, different course. things, but it's, it's amazing what we're doing. And um, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> what does it, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but it's worth it. I mean, if you can keep these guys, it's the teams that are going to keep their best players on the field is, are going to win. Dude, there's so much talent in this game that it's the guys that have their regular guys out there the most that are generally going to win. Nationals Assistant General Manager Bob Miller, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.